Would you pray with me, please? Help us now, Lord, if we have not already, to set aside the cares of this week. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, Lord, from your word today, that which you want to speak to us. Lord God, as I come before you as a mere man, Lord, Holy Spirit, unless you show up, God, nothing here will will take place today except mere utterance and mere words of a man. So, Lord Christ, I ask you to come and anoint the words of my mouth, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as many of you know, we're, we are in a uh, sermon series this summer uh, through the book of Ephesians. And so this morning, if you would, please take out your Bible, open them to the chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. That's where the, the uh, verses that Ashley read for us this morning. And I like the way, Ashley, you read that, and I'll, I'll bring that up in a minute. Because um, that's one, uh, verses 3 to 14 are one gigantic run-on sentence. One, it really is. There's no punctuation in that. Like I said, we'll get to that in a minute. But, um, but if you were here last week, um, you might recall that in introducing the book of Ephesians, I, one of the things I talked about in a second point was uh, the structure of Ephesians. Just the overall structure of Ephesians. That was my second point last week. And I talked about that Paul really does this interesting thing. He talks about God first in chapters 1 through 3. And then he talks about actions. The actions that you and I do in chapters 4 through 6. And I also said that how we start in life, that how we live our life, how we determine or how we start our life will determine how we end our life. And so after the introduction that uh, we went over last week and the greeting, um, how does Paul start his letter to Ephesians? He greeted us last week, and you may remember that. How does he start his letter to Ephesians? Well, this morning in chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, we see Paul starting his letter to the Ephesians not with commands. He doesn't start out the book of Ephesians with a lot of moralisms. He doesn't give us a bunch of shoulds or oughts. He mentions nothing about how bad Ephesus was. And you can go back and listen to that sermon last week. I described a lot of that. He doesn't talk about how bad the Christians in Ephesus were having at that time. Or having it at at that time. Again, you can go back and listen to that from last week. Paul doesn't begin by addressing any problems. Paul is not reactive. Paul doesn't go negative on his readers. He doesn't initiate a strategy to destroy the cult of Artemis that, were, or Artemis that was at Ephesus. Nor did he advocate the Ephesian churches or the, the Ephesian Christians coming together to start a monastery of sorts. How does he start the book? Look back with me with verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Apostle Paul starts off his letter by talking about God first. Paul begins with God. And then he does this. And in one 200-word, solid stream sentence of worship, praise, and adoration of God with absolutely no punctuation marks. Ashley read it right. The words literally come gushing forth from the pen of the Apostle Paul as his arm drags a chain across the prison floor. And Paul simply states, what is true about God? 
what is true about believers in Christ in verses 3 to 14. Okay, so Paul begins with God. Well, friends, really, for the next remaining verses, there are seven verbs in verses 3 to 14 that St. Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, writes to the Ephesian church. And he writes in such a way to encourage them and to reorient them in a world that has perhaps gone mad. And I believe these seven verbs, as I'll highlight here in a minute, under the power and conviction of the Holy Spirit, can reorient us today. And that will encourage us today if we'll let them. Because these seven verbs give us, that is believers, you and me, the church, a true north, if you will, when we get lost in the cosmos and the craziness of our life and the craziness of this world. Their encouragement when we maybe feel like, when perhaps we feel like the wheels are falling off civilization in our lives. And they will guide us back to where we need to start every discussion in our lives when the truth gets blurry. Paul begins with God and he gives us these seven verbs. What are those seven verbs? If you're taking notes, and I hope you are this morning, um, you may not be able to write these down in this flurry that I'm fixing to give you, but I I hope you can pick them up or get a pen out and outline in your Bible. There's seven of them. Number one, God has blessed us, blessed us. Number two, God has chosen us. Number three, God has predestined us. Number four, he has bestowed or blessed us, some translations may read. Number five, he has lavished upon us. Number six, he is making known the things known to us. And number seven, he is uniting all things. That's a lot. But listen, friend, no matter where you are at this morning, maybe your head's still reeling today from the quick acceptance of Bruce Jenner this week. I don't know. Or maybe you're working a job that you just can't stand. Or maybe you're struggling in a relationship or you're wrestling with some disorder or a psychological problem or you're broke or whatever is going on in your life today. I don't know about you, friend, but when I began to read verses 3 to 14, I become absolutely overcome by the sheer force and magnitude of what Paul has done for us in these few verses. What has Paul done for us? Look with me again. uh, Number one, excuse me, God has blessed us. Look with me in verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You see that second blessed there in verse 3? If you've got a pen, underline that or write that down. Mark it, underline it. Why? Follow along with me again. Look in your scripture. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed. Blessed who? He's blessed us. How has he blessed us? In Christ. With what has he blessed us? With every spiritual blessing. Where is that? It's in the heavenly places. Can you feel the magnitude of such a verse? What does God do for us? Friend, he blesses us. See, blessed means to speak well of someone who is worthy of being blessed. And so when it begins, he says, blessed God, we are, or blessed God, we are speaking well to the Lord because he is worthy to be blessed. But then on the flip side of that, God is blessing us, which means, get this, he is speaking well of us, that he counts us somehow worthy to be blessed. Think about this. 
You go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. Adam and Eve, God creates them, puts them in the garden. What does he do? Genesis 1.28 tells us God blessed them. Then a little while later, you keep going through the family of God. Genesis 12, who do you have? You've got Abraham. What does God tell Abraham? I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And then what happens? God turns around and blesses Abraham's son, Isaac, in Genesis 25, 11. And then Isaac turns around and blesses his son, Jacob. And there's this long line of blessing down through the people of God. Even up to Mary, the Theotokos, the God-bearer, she herself is also called blessed. Friend, and what St. Paul is saying here, he is saying the same thing about those of us who call on the name of Christ for salvation. That we, here gathered together this morning, are blessed by God. Because God is worthy to be blessed, somehow he counts us worthy to be blessed too. Listen, what God does comes out of who God is. And what we receive from God is who God is. The being of God is expressed in the actions of God. And in this case, he is a God who blesses because he himself is blessed. Now, friends, say, well, I don't know quite what you're so excited about. (laughs) Listen, if you grew up in a situation, or let me back up. Maybe you grew up in a situation where you felt like you were in the way. Or maybe your parents' blessing was absent in what was said or not said. Maybe there were never hugs of affirmation or words of blessing spoken to you. Maybe there was never any really high value assigned in your family to you. Maybe nobody seemed to care about your future If that's you this morning, you may kind of struggle with this concept a bit. Why? Because you don't know what blessing is. And you know something? I've noticed this about about Christians and the family of God. The older I get and the more people I talk to. People who are not blessed by their family don't usually bless others. And they spend a lot of time in life seeking it, trying to earn it trying to get their father or their mother's approval, trying to get their blessing. Listen, in the lineage of the people of God, there was a very long lineage of blessing. As I said, God blessed Adam and Eve. He blessed Abraham, who blessed Isaac. The line just goes on and on and on. And in that Jewish culture, in the Old Testament time, the fathers would take their kids, put them on their laps, and tell them, yes, you are special. Yes, you are God's child. And a lot of times would even pronounce blessings over them. Job well done. I know you're going to do great things in the kingdom. Why did they do that? Because God had blessed them. Because God is a God who blesses. And he desires to pass that blessing on But beloved, even if you're from a family this morning and you never received your mom and dad's blessing or you never heard those affirming words, if you are in Christ today, you are blessed. That's what Ephesians tells us. You are blessed in the heavenly places. Well, where is that? That's the area where God rules and reigns. 
It's those thin places we talk about from time to time. Those heavenly places are the areas where we back this up. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on what? On earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that prayer, what we are praying is that those heavenly blessings, those things that are taking place in the other world that we can't really see, are actually becoming a reality in, the, in our lives, in the people of God's lives. Beloved, the long line of lineage of blessing from the index basically to the maps in the back are yours from God today in Christ. You have been blessed by God because God is a God who blesses. Beloved, pass that on to your kids if you have them, if they're not too old. Not even if they are too old. You know what? Bless them anyway. <laughs> Pass that on to your family in words of affirmation. Pass that on to one another as a church family. Pass that on perhaps to your coworkers. Why? Because God is a God of blessing and he has blessed you in Christ and he is asking you to bless those who are around you. First, God has blessed us in Jesus Christ. Secondly, God has chosen us. Now, each and every one of us here, you've probably experienced something like this, what it's like maybe to not be chosen. Maybe you were not picked for the team. I know for a fact growing up that if you wanted to lose a basketball game or a soccer game, I was your guy. <laughs> There's a lot of things I can do in life. Give me a gun, I can hit something at a thousand yards. Give me a basketball and I couldn't get it to Maymay. I don't understand it. It just doesn't happen for me, okay? It's just not me. But maybe you weren't picked for the team. Maybe you've been overlooked for the job promotion. Maybe there was somebody you wanted to date or go out with and they rejected you. Or maybe you, you weren't picked as a spouse even. You know, not being chosen leaves us feeling oftentimes overlooked, like we don't have any worth. Somehow we're not useful, or perhaps we're good for nothing. Anybody in here ever felt that way? Yeah. Can I tell you something today? Listen, you were not. If you are in Christ, you are not the last pick to be on God's team. You were his first pick. How so? Look back at verse four. He says, even as he chose us in him, when before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You see that? He chose us. Underline that. Circle it. Mark it. Write it down. Do something with it. Because friend, listen, before the world was, Jesus was. He co-eternally exists with the father. There was never a time in which Jesus was not, Okay. Same about you. Jesus had you on his mind before the foundations of the world. That's what Ephesians verse four tells us. See, you're chosen by God. Not last, but first. Not last, but first. Christian, let me ask you, why are we so prone to look for our identities elsewhere? Sports teams, political causes and parties, hobbies, Golf, country club life. Maybe you're a rebel without a cause. A blonde wanting to be brunette or brunette wanting to be blonde, red or black or whatever. Tattoos that we get that mark us out that tell everybody who we are. You know, the bottom line of it is none of us really deep down inside want to be invisible. 
And if we're not careful in our common everyday world experiences of not being noticed, of being ignored, overlooked, being plain, being ordinary, being dismissed or rejected, you know what? Those things begin to define us. They begin to become our life narrative. And we start looking for other narratives in the world to give us significance and give us our identity, our identity instead of living into God's narrative and God's identity that he gives us in Jesus. What is that narrative? God chose you. Friend, this morning you have worth. You have an identity of God's child and you are blessed by God. See, his choosing you was not a last minute decision. God wasn't like, well, okay, I'll take you because I feel sorry for you like we would maybe going to the animal shelter and picking up a puppy or the orphan that's been overlooked in the, adopt, or in the, uh, the orphanage. No, according to Ephesians, God chose you before the world was. Beloved, that ought to encourage us this morning, amen? God has blessed us, God has chosen us. Thirdly, God has destined us or predestined us. Look, look with me at verse five. He says, in love, or you gotta back up just a little bit, right before verse five, but he says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now again, see that word he predestined or destined, I'm not sure what your translation may say. Again, circle it, underline it, write it down. See, being predestined or destined is very closely kind of like being chosen. Except the difference is, is is really kind of this, to be chosen by God assigns worth. It assigns an identity in this world. But being destined or predestined by God gives us purpose in this world. The Greek word for predestined here is, uh, obviously my Greek's kind of rusty, but uh, it's proritzo, and it really means this. It means to like set limits or mark out beforehand. It's kind of like the playground in the back, if any of you saw it, um, in the back of the church. We put up boundary markers. Why? Or we put up grade stakes. Why? To, to limit the contractor or to set or tell the contractor, hey, this is where you need to put this thing. It's much the same way. What, so what is it that God has intentionally marked out or set limits to ahead of time for us? When you look back at verse five, you see it. He predestined us for what? For adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. What are you destined in life to do? What is it? To be an adopted child of God. That's your destiny. With all the full position, rights, and privileges of being his full sons and daughters. But see, friends, being chosen is one thing. You can be picked by the coach or chose, or the coach can pick you out to be on the team. But you never really know the coach. But being chosen and then also being destined to be a son or a daughter of God implies a relationship. In other words, God has destined you to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. But as always in any discussion like this, because of any 
our own security, our own insecurities and curiosities. There is kind of a word of caution here. You know, being chosen and predestined is not really a license to be arrogant. In fact, it should make us humble. Because any discussion of how God sovereignly chooses some or, and not others or how all that works out is a mystery that we just can't fight. We just, in our own minds, we just cannot process that. We're not given that information. Eugene Peterson said this about this particular passage in the issue of predestination. He said, the tone of Ephesians is adoration, not calculation. I like that. He says that the God who predestines cannot be reduced and impersonalized into a cosmic blueprint. Nevertheless, God predestines us, predestines us to be his sons and his daughters. Beloved, you have purpose in the world. All who know Christ are destined to be beloved sons and daughters of Jesus. That is your destiny. Again, friend, that ought to encourage you. We've been blessed, we've been chosen, we are destined. But number four, he has bestowed or has blessed us with grace, verse six. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Again, there's another blessed, but this one's a bit different. Circle it, underline it. The word blessed in this context is a derivative of the word charis, and it's really, which means grace, and it's really a difficult word to translate. There really is no crisp meaning because it's only used in the uh, New Testament twice, Ephesians 1 and Luke 1.28. But really the usage of blessed in this context means to favor. It means to visit with favor or to make an object of favor, to gift. It means to show kindness to someone with the implication of graciousness on the part of the one who is showing such kindness. In Luke 1.28, it's used to describe Mary when the angel of the Lord said to Mary, the mother of Jesus, blessed are you among women. And friend, just as Mary was the object of God's gracious provision of being chosen to bear Jesus, get this, Paul wants to make it clear that believers are the object of God's blessing, enrichment, or provision of benefits in the beloved Jesus Christ, just like Mary. Wow. Eugene Peterson, or excuse me, another scholar put it this way. He said the word blessed here means to be begracing with grace, showing an abundance of grace. Eugene Peterson said that the word translated blessed in Ephesians 1.6 really ought to mean like we are drenched with grace. And the application is this, God bestows, God gives, drenches us with his favor, his pleasure, his delight in giving you and me what we could never imagine or ask for in grace. He drenches us. He gives us himself in Jesus. Well, number five, God has lavished upon us. Number five, he has lavished upon us the riches of his grace. In case you didn't get it, or kind of back what I was talking about point four, Paul further unpacks the grace that God has drenched us with in Christ Jesus in verses seven through eight. Read those with me, please. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. All right, back up here. The word 
here, the key word that unlocks this particular passage is the word redemption. And it means to release, means to set free. It had in mind the idea of the, the process of freeing a slave to liberate, to deliver. And so when we get to now, and so when we get to verses like this, let me back up for a minute. Yeah, the word basically means to set free, to deliver, or set us free. And when we get to verses like this, it's tempting to kind of read these things and, and start believing that being blessed, chosen, or predestined, or favored by God is really for our own sake. That we've been delivered for our own sake. That it's all about me. That it's all about you. But the word redemption has much further implications than that here in Ephesians that tie all the way back to when the people of God were redeemed at the exodus from Egypt. Listen to what scholar N.T. Wright says about the following, or about, the, or about verses 7 through 8. He says, Paul tells of the cross in such a way that we can hear underneath it the ancient Jewish story of Passover. Passover was the night when the angel of death came through the land of Egypt and the blood of the lamb was sprinkled on the doorpost, rescued the Israelites from the judgment that would otherwise fallen on them. The word often used for that moment was redemption or deliverance. And it was that time when God went to Egypt and bought for himself the people that had been enslaved there. Now again, in fulfillment of the old story, the true redemption or deliverance has occurred. Forgiveness of the slavery of sins is the real deliverance from the real slave master. And it's all been accomplished through the sacrificial blood of Jesus. What's N.T. Wright saying there? If we go back, look at verse 7 again. He says, in him we have redemption. What does that mean? Set free. Exodus. Delivered. Through what? His blood. What happened at the Exodus? Blood was sprinkled on the doorpost of God's people. The forgiveness of our trespasses. This time, that is our trespasses, meaning our sin. That is the real deliverance. According to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Sinclair Ferguson, he summarizes it this way. He says, this time, though the bondage was not to Pharaoh, but to Satan, sin and death. By his death on the cross, Christ has justly purchased us back from God at the cost of his own blood. He has dealt with our guilt to bring us pardon. He has overcome the cosmic forces of evil which bound us and risen in triumph over all his and over all his and our enemies. Now, by his spirit, he leads us into the promised land of life, of freedom, of fellowship with God and communion with his people. Beloved, God has furnished us with an exodus, if you will. A deliverance from sin. A deliverance from addiction. A deliverance from guilt, of pain, of fear, shame, cynicism. And really all that negative stuff that we could possibly think of through Jesus. Perhaps maybe he's asking some of us here today to take him by the hand and let him lead you out of Egypt. To let him exodus you, to redeem you, to release you from bondage. 
over into the promised land of freedom, fellowship with God, and communion with his people. God has blessed us. God has chosen us. He's predestined us. He's drenched us with his grace. He's lavished us with redemption and grace. But sixthly, God is making known to us the mystery of his will. Read with me verse 9. He says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. That verb there is making known. That's another one you need to underline or circle in your Bible, and I'll show you why in a minute. Friends, God has not left us sitting in the dark. We're not to be his children who are seen and not heard. God lets us in on what he is doing. That is, of course, if we're paying attention. The way in which God makes known to us the mystery of his will, get this, is not by dumping information on us for us to gather. He doesn't uh, just kind of throw information out there for us to pick up as clues along the way. God doesn't give us systems or a theology class. He doesn't give us impersonal facts like dates, explanations, and definitions to live by. No, friend, God makes known to us the mystery of his will in all wisdom and insight. In all wisdom and insight. You got to kind of go back to verse 8 to pick that up. But that's what Jesus is saying, or what Paul is saying. Why is he talking about that? What, what, is, what is that about? See, friends, wisdom and insight are knowledge lived out. Beloved, you can memorize a lot about theology, you can memorize a lot about the entire Bible and never become a mature Christian. We can know the catechism backwards and forwards, never really grow in Christ. You can even know the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments, those things that we say we're going to teach our kids at their baptism, but never grow up into a mature Christian. We can spout off doctrine in the most fluid and rhetorically seasoned way, but never really live our faith out in Jesus. Listen up. We only know Christ, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a relationship that we live out daily. See, friend, you can't have a relationship with a person you don't ever spend any time with. And the question is, for us, how much time are we spending with God in prayer, meditation, and contemplation? Eugene Peterson says this on the matter. He says, there is a great deal out there of impersonal knowledge, or excuse me, there is a great deal of impersonal knowledge available, but there is no impersonal wisdom. He says, we only truly know something by entering it, knowing it from the inside, lovingly embracing it. That's what wisdom is. It's truth assimilated, digested, and lived out practically. Beloved, we can know a lot of stuff, but that doesn't mean that we are necessarily wise. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have insight that God wants to give us. See, some of the clearest, wisest, most insightful people I have ever met or known in my life didn't go to college. Some didn't even have a high school diploma. They don't use the best grammar they're not really very articulate by the world's standards. But one thing is for sure, 
They're wise and they're insightful because they, and they know, and they know the Lord. They know his will because they have relationship with Jesus. And somehow in the mystery of their loving embrace of Jesus and their walk with Christ, it's amazing. Some can barely, some can barely read. He grows them up into maturity. He changes them. He shapes them and forms them and gives them wisdom and insight into life. What about you? Is that you this morning? Do you want that? Beloved, we only get it by being in God's presence, praying and meditating with Jesus in the Gospels, with Paul in his letters, in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, in the worship that we're doing here when we come to the table in a few minutes. Number, so the Lord is making known to us. He makes things known to us in insight and wisdom. Number seven, he is uniting all things to him. Verse 10, please. He says, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Uniting things, uniting all things. The word there means to bring everything Everything there is in terms of some underlying principle or person or to bring together. See, friends, we live in a world that's fragmented. We live in a world where a lot of us get depersonalized. We live in a world that's full of chaos that seems to be coming apart. What Paul tells us here in verse 10 is that Jesus Christ gives us coherence. That he gives us unity. That he gives us the church headship. History as a whole belongs to Jesus, not to puny intentions of man, not to the president of the United States, not to the superpowers there are about, not to the secular world, not even to Satan. In short, nothing in the world, friend, is out of God's control. He is unifying all things to himself. And get this, he is starting with his people with those who are in Christ, you and me. We're gonna have to stop there, but friends, as you read verses three through 10, it really is Jesus Christ who reveals and executes all seven of these verbal actions that, we, that I've been covering or just went over. It really is Jesus who is uniting all things to himself. Say, so what do you mean? Well, in verse three, it tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us, what? In Christ. You go down to verse four, you see that Jesus Christ chose us, how? In him, that is Jesus. Jesus is everywhere. In verse five, he sa- it begins, it says, he, there's a pronoun there. Who is that? Jesus Christ did what? Pretestin us for adoptions as sons through who? Jesus Christ. Verse six, he, who is that? Jesus Christ. He's blessed, he's bestowed, he's favored us. In who? The beloved, Jesus Christ. In verse seven, you have, it says, in him, who is that? Christ, we have redemption through him, or through who? Christ, blood. Verse seven, we have the riches according to his grace, that is Christ. In verse eight, it says, which he, who? Christ, he's lavished on us. Verse nine, the pronoun there is he, he did what? He set forth in Christ. And then in verse 10, it summarizes, says, to gather up all things in him, who is that? Christ. Remember last week I said that the message of Ephesians was that Christ is everywhere. Listen, these first few verses, three through 10, Jesus is absolutely dripping through these pages. 
Christ is central to everything. Let me ask you a question. Why is it then that we spend so much time looking at everything else in the world? Why is it we give so much time to focusing on the problem, not the solution? St. Paul did not begin with a problem. He simply states what is true about God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and what is true of you and me, us, the church. He tells us what is true about ourselves. As I said last week, Paul starts with God. Why don't we? Friend, I don't know where you're at this week. I don't know what's going on. But I challenge you this. If you're having a hard time seeing through the muddle and the muck of the world and truth isn't making much sense to you or you're just down and out, okay? I mean, I know there's a lot of things that that, that could have reasons to have a lot of us down. Listen, go back through and apply this, these verses we just covered to yourself. Look at them in prayer with God, reading them. And where it says that we are blessed, I am blessed. Personalize them. That I am chosen. That I am destined to be a son or daughter of the king. That I have been drenched in his redeeming grace. That God is making known to me the mystery of his will. In all wisdom and in insight as I live my life out with him. Friend, that's what it means to start with God. See, how we begin determines how we win life. Let us begin each day with what God is doing and has done in our lives. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.